Hello, this is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with teacher Brian Johnston. Many thanks for joining us. Motherhood is Brian's study subject today. Mothers are very important, aren't they? Indeed, where would we be without them? Fact is, we wouldn't be. We link the word with nature and talk about mother nature. But Brian is going to be more specific and he's taking a look at four individual mothers. Three of them we find in the Bible and one we don't. But uh, she was a God-fearing mother nevertheless. So here's Brian now and he'll soon tell us who she is. Thanks, John. Something we all have in common is what we owe our respective mothers. Many people would lavish praise on their mother's nurturing role, sometimes expressing that in the subjective opinion that they are the world's best, etc. Sadly, there are exceptions to this where for some reason the relationship has gone disastrously wrong. But I would like to speak with you about four particular mothers. They're mothers from whom we can all learn. The first I want to introduce to you is a mother who spoke about sin. She's Susanna Wesley. You may guess from her surname that she's related to John. Yes, John Wesley's mother, Susanna, was an extraordinary woman. As a young man, Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, once asked his mother for a definition of sin. She said in a letter she wrote to him, Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. I would say that's entirely consistent with what the Bible says in defining for us what sin is. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 describes sin as a falling short of the glory of God. That's the target, the goal of human experience, that we are meant to arrive at the glory of God. When we don't, we sin. Sin is therefore missing the mark or purpose for which God created humanity. From its earliest pages and affirmed in the New Testament, we read in the Bible that we humans were created in God's image and so were meant to be the glory of God. But what does it really mean for us to be the glory of God? I suggest we might think of it in this way. Just as a masterpiece of a painting might be said to be an artist's glory because people admire it and so honour the artist who created it, so we were intended to be the crowning glory of all God's handiwork, his creation. But look what's happened. Do people tend to look at us and then be filled with admiration for God? Do any give praise and honour to the creator because of us? That only shows how far we've fallen short and by how much we've missed the mark. In Bible language, this means we've sinned. I'm emphasising this because it's not the common misperception of sin that's around in society these days. This true definition of sin is not a definition of sin that's conveniently narrowed down to avoidable behaviours like gross immorality or criminal activity. 
but is certainly something which catches us all out. And that much was certainly conveyed by Susanna Wesley's thoughtful answer. When the verb is to sin, the subject of the verb is every single one of us at some point or other, and very much more often than we might suspect. Susanna Wesley had a sense of God, and the more sense of God we have, then the more conscious we'll be of sin in our lives. Those who talk today about even quite blatant acts of immorality or fraudulent dealings as being only errors of judgment or mere indiscretions display their ignorance of God and the almost total lack of respect for him in their lives, no matter how high a standing they have in public office. So sin, in the Bible's terms, is a failure to reach the mark, and how disappointing it is to be conscious of the fact that we've not achieved what we were designed to be and to do in our role as the image and glory of God. Yes, failure and disappointment are inherent in the human condition as we find it now, so much so that we must ask the question, is there any hope or is it hopeless? At this point, I'd like to introduce another mother. This time, it's the mother of Jesus Christ. Let's think of the time when she saw the Saviour, her son, dying on the cross, being crucified by the Roman soldiers at Pilate's command. One man has employed his imagination in an appealing way, I think, and written this simple verse of poetry. Her face showed grief, but not despair. Her head, though bowed, had faith to spare. And even now she could suppose his thorns could somehow yield a rose. Her life with him was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all be one. The author of those lines was a man going through a terrible time. A time which had evidently caused him to reflect seriously on the cross of Christ and the great sacrifice our Lord made for all of us there. He shared much of his gruesome experiences in a book entitled When Hell Was in Session. The author was Jeremiah Denton, who subsequently rose to the rank of Rear Admiral in the US Navy. In November 1980, Denton became the first retired flag officer ever elected to the US Senate. In 1987, he was appointed by President Ronald Reagan to be chairman of the Presidential Commission on Merchant Marine and Defence. But back in 1973, Jeremiah Denton walked to freedom after being held captive in North Vietnam for more than seven years. He'd been captured in July 1965 after leading a bombing attack on enemy installations where he'd been shot down and captured by North Vietnamese troops. While held prisoner, Denton became the first American subjected to four years of solitary confinement. In 1966, during a television interview by the North Vietnamese and broadcast on American television, Denton gained national attention when, while being questioned, he blinked his eyes in Morse code, 
repeatedly spelling out the covert message T-O-R-T-U-R-E. In other words, I am being tortured. At times, life's experiences deepen mere disappointment into utter despair. We struggle to remember Betsy Ten Boom's words at the height of her own wartime sufferings when she said, There's no pit so deep, but God's love isn't deeper still. Denton had penned that poem about his felt sense of hopelessness, the poem we read a moment ago, when taking inspiration and courage from the thought of Mary looking at Jesus on the cross. Her face showed grief, but not despair. Her head, though bowed, had faith to spare. And even now, she could suppose his thorns would somehow yield a rose. Her life with him was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all be one. Evidently, this helped him travel from hopelessness and disappointment back to hope again. It's only by looking to the cross, as he pictured Mary doing, that any of us can find true reason to hope. We need to look to the cross of Jesus in faith. So let's conclude with a couple of mothers whose lives evidenced genuine faith. That was the verdict of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy saying, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul to Timothy in the Bible. Like them, to come into the full experience of God's love, to be sure of God's forgiveness, with all our guilt removed, we need to profess faith in the one that God sent, Jesus. On four occasions, the Bible tells us whoever believes in him, that's in Jesus, will not be disappointed. This is the only complete antidote to disappointment that sinners can ever find. He or she who believes in Jesus will not be disappointed in any ultimate sense. Our four featured mothers have impressed on us sensitivity to the ways of God, but then also strength of character in being able to express hope in the face of adversity, and finally, genuine faith, which may even impact the rising generations among us. These are all things which are vital. We do need to be sensitive to our failure through sin. Even for the best of us, God's original intention can no longer be realised in the way we are now. But we also need to be open to the hope, hope for the hopeless, that's available through the cross of Christ. And finally, we must access that hope by applying for its benefit through faith. Will you do that?
Thanks for your talk today, Brian. Four years in solitary doesn't bear thinking about, does it? But Denton's poem reminded me of the scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our hymn reminds us too that we need to fight the good fight of staying faithful. I'd like to remind you that there's a transcript book of all the talks in this series, which would be helpful if you want to pursue further study. So please let me remind you how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online and you can obtain it by downloading from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book be posted out to you. Just ask for the title, It's Not Fake News. And don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post, and here is our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. That's all we have time for today, but many thanks again for the privilege of your company. I hope your week ahead goes well, and I'd be delighted if you join me again this time next week to hear our next talk, which is called Deathbed Conversations. But for now, it's goodbye. Very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.